you can do it all, but you maybe can't do it all at once. And so having like reasonable goals, don't make the goal. I'm going to sell more stuff than I've ever sold this quarter. I'm also going to coach every single game at my kid's little league thing. And I'll probably be the class mom, right? Like maybe I'll train for a marathon too, right? Cause it's important to have good physical. I mean, that is like, that is where a lot of people come to me. Like I'll sometimes go, well, like what, what's your normal day? Like, and they'll tell me, and I'm like, friend, this is why you're feeling anxious. Like this is, <laughs> this is unsustainable because there isn't enough time just to be, to be in stillness or to be with oneself or to refocus on what our purpose is. We kind of all become these like busy holics in the pursuit of trying to do everything well. This is just very sad because it often leaves people depleted and, and, and feeling down. I mean, Hey parents, welcome back to Parenting on Purpose, your podcast for business owners, homeschoolers, and those parents not wanting to be in a box. I'm really excited today. We have a, one of my new best friends, Ashley Saha, with us today. Uh, I think on our pre-call, we spent like two hours just talking about like theology. And so right before we, we recorded, we're like, what are we talking about again? <laughs> so anyway, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, before we get into appearance, uh, you guys know we show up here every week to give you great content. If you want to be a better version of yourself, if you get in, uh, good value out of these talks, please hit the like button. Please subscribe. It helps us grow and get into the homes of more families like us. So without uh, further ado, Ashley, welcome to the show. How are you? Hi, I'm good. I know. I, I'm glad you said it first that we're best friends now because I felt it. But I didn't want to be the vulnerable one that said, like, hey, are we best friends? So great. So we can just move into, like, friendship bracelet making next yes. after the podcast. I love it. That sounds Perfect. good to me. I love it. Perfect. No. So I'm Ashley Saha. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And I am licensed in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, New York, and Florida. And in the beginning of my career, for about ooh, almost a decade, I did almost exclusive, like, therapy with kids. And that ranged from you know, like issues of they're out of the home. They have placements out of the home because like the state services are involved because maybe there was abuse or neglect and working with kids that just struggled with like anxiety and different adjustment stuff and things like that. So for about a decade, I worked only with kids and families. Yeah. And it seems like you, you said you kind of spun, span the gamut from like inner city to like uh, the private school kids. So I'm sure you have a wealth of knowledge and I'm looking forward to I'm looking forward to picking your brain on that. Um, yeah. Ashley, we always start the show with one, the first question. It's always the same because I love to get people's insights. It's Ooh, I'm excited. And I, and I did not prep you, but you can handle it. did not prep me, but I'm ready. <laughs> you got this. Um, it, it's what do you do to show up in your life on purpose? Maybe one habit or one um, rhythm of something that you do to help you show up on purpose as a parent and just as a person. Mm, that's a good one. Okay. Well, now I'm now I have to go back and listen to see what other people said. I think this might probably sound silly, but like it's my morning coffee, right? Like when I have my morning coffee, it's usually alone. I get up early so that it is alone, and I get kind of ticked when I'm not alone when people spontaneously wake up earlier than usual. But like when I'm having that coffee, I'm sort of going through what my intention is for the day because I'm coming from a place of you can't do it all. You can't do it all at the same time. You know, and so like, I usually like, just go through a little mantra of like, what is my goal today? So usually my goal today, for the clients that I work with, you know, that I'm doing therapy with, I try to tell myself, like, you're not there to fix anything. And you're not there 
to change someone's life or save someone because those things aren't possible, right? You're there to listen. You're there to be truly present with them in that time that you guys have carved out. So that's what I'm sort of making my goal for like my work life usually yeah. for that day is to try to like, you know, because it's natural that minds wander, right? But if I have that intention in mind, I can just kind of go, oh, you're wandering and, and bring it back, bring it gently back to the person. And then I think also my mantra is sort of to like, to have like at least a few moments of real connection with my my daughter who's eight. So that's not always like, sometimes it's play. Like sometimes we go somewhere and we do something together or I sit and like move the LOL dolls around and make them talk. Sometimes it's that, <laughs> right? I'd only be like 20 minutes of that. But even like if I don't have time to do that, I'll make sure that like that conversation on the car ride home from school, I'm actually listening and I'm actually asking questions and I'm not letting my brain go. It doesn't matter who she ate lunch with. Like all we have to do is get home and do that paperwork. I'm sort of, again, just like bringing my attention back to, and then what did they say? And then what did that person say? Oh, what? Someone had a, a an orange and it was really a Clementine, you know, cause that's like the kind of conversation sometimes. And it can be really easy to be like, I don't have time for this. But right. that those moments of connection, even if they're about something that seems kind of silly, that's the point. It's like quality, not quantity, I think. Yeah, I love that. It's, I think it's true. Kids are craving that from us and then they are there are used to it and so they yeah. get very hurt and even damaged or traumatic when they don't get it or they just are used to not getting it and so they kind of tune us out and go elsewhere for it so that's beautiful so i guess just in summation you take a little time for yourself before people wake up you get a cup of coffee which is something that you enjoy it fuels you your soul right. and then you have a little bit of presence with your own self your intentions for your day and then it allows you to be present with your clients and your and your family yeah yeah. And there's like a, I always butcher the quote. There's like a Marcus Aurelius, like stoic quote from the meditations of his that the like, is something like, you know, like you weren't meant to be in your covers, even though they're warm and comfortable. Like that's not what you were made for. You were made to do the work of a human being. So what's the work of a human being? Is it to hide under the covers where it's comfortable and kind of be in that comfort and luxury and it's warm and it feels great? Or is it to have purpose? Like other people are depending on you. And, you know, even if it's as small as like, hey, we all happen to be on this earth at the same time right now. And whatever your job is, you feel, you feel a piece of that, you know, like ants, right? And that your job is to get up and do the work of a human being, not hide out under your cover. So I have to say that to myself a lot too, before I get to the coffee. Then once I get to the coffee, it's smooth sailing. But to get from the, you know, like, the horizontal position of laying down in bed to the coffee. Sometimes I have to be like, what is the work of a human being? I like that to get to it. Yeah. I like it. It starts with caffeine. Then you can ask me. Always. Always. <laughs> I always give a high reverence to the uh, Wim Hof people of the world who start their morning with like a freezing shower or like a, an ice bath. I'm like, that takes a God very bless them. That God takes bless them. Yes. If only that was me, but that's not, that's not. It's like, let me get that strong coffee, maybe the double espresso. And then, yeah, we'll get into I do feel it. much better about getting out of bed for something warm and like cozy, right? Like that, that's totally. feels, that does feel good. That's awesome. Totally. Well, that's a great answer. I love it. Um, you touched on something too, and it kind of wraps into what I want to talk to you about today. Um, you talked about, let's see if I can do this like in a nice bow. You talked about um, not really being able to save or solve the world's problems. Your real goal and your like job is to be present and to show yeah. up. 
And that kind of tied into what I thought would be a perfect topic for us today, which is in parenthood. And I know you have both sides of this, like you as a working mom have gone through this and as a business owner, building a business and being a mom. And then you also see it on your client side from people who are doing some, doing the same thing and how, how we as parents feel like we struggle with it. So it's more about the being present with your children, but also still being able to grow and develop as a human being. I think that is actually why I started this podcast, but I I think you are such a unique and perfect person to help amalgamate your own experiences to kind of just play with this concept a little bit. So um, I don't know, you can start in any way that feels uh, organic of in service, maybe with your own journey or just things that you've seen in your, um, in your practice with people wanting to grow as individuals, whether it's work or whatever it is, business ownership, and um, also wanting to make sure that they're still present at home. And I'll just ask some questions and kind of free flow as we go. Um, but yeah, anything that comes to your heart, I'd love to kind of start to, to play with this a little bit. Totally. I mean, so one thing that came to my mind when you were saying that is that like, sometimes it feels to me, and I don't, I don't know how many people this would like, you know, they would relate to this, but like, sometimes it feels to me like it's an impossible task that like, to be able to be truly present with my child, which of course I want that, but also to be able to, let's say, work on my fitness goals, that's really important to me. And yeah, I'm the worst one at karate, but it's really important to me that I keep going. And doing that and also having time to be there for my clients the way I wanna be there and to grow my business the way I want to, it seems like just starting out, something's gonna give. And you know, then I pay the price for that, right? Like if I, if I sort of like give to my clients and take away from myself while I might grow my business, it doesn't, I can't take care of myself then, right? My mood goes down or I have less energy or I get more frustrated because I'm not doing self-care that I need to do. If I compromise and I do a whole bunch of self-care and let my business go down, then it feels like I'm sabotaging myself because this is mine. Either I'm going to make it or break it, but it's all on me. And if my child's last in that line, I pay the price with like tremendous shame that like, right, I brought her here and now I'm neglecting her. So then that feels terrible. So I yes. think that like there's multiple ways to like attack this. One is through our cognitions or our thoughts. What are we telling ourselves about the things we've chosen, like our responsibilities? Or if we're telling ourselves that we need to be doing all those things at once and it's all on us, and they need to be pretty close to perfect else we fail, like that's a very dangerous cognition, right? And then that's gonna accompany a lot of negative feelings around it, whatever those feelings are. So I think like just kind of being really aware of the fact that like you can do it all, but you maybe can't do it all at once. And so having like reasonable goals, don't make the goal, I'm gonna sell more stuff than I've ever sold this quarter. I'm also gonna coach every single game at my kids little league thing and i'll probably be the class mom right like maybe i'll train for a marathon too right because it's important to have good physical i mean that is like that is where a lot of people come to me like i'll sometimes go well like what what's your normal day like and they'll tell me and i'm like friend this is why you're feeling anxious like this is (laughs) this is unsustainable because there isn't enough time just to be to be in stillness or to be with oneself or to refocus on what our purpose is we kind of all become these like busy holics in the pursuit of trying to do everything well. This is just very sad because it often leaves people depleted and 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 feeling down. Wow, that was really well said. I gave you a heart thing, <laughs> and you just that crushed it. Um, well, I'm living it, friend. I mean, 
I'm living it on the daily, like talking back to those shameful voices or trying to like, what is my brain telling me? That's the question I'll ask myself. What's If I'm feeling like keyed up or real anxious or down, I've gotten in the habit of sort of saying, what is my brain saying to me right now? And if I can tune into it and hear it, it's usually like kind of a blanket statement, like you have to do it all, right? Or you're not doing it good enough, right? Like something like that. Well, that's a cognition that is in no way helpful to my day. And if I can sort of identify it and challenge it a little bit, exactly, you know, then, then I tend to feel a little better. And then by nature, if I'm feeling better, I am more present, right? If we're going away, if we're finding we can't be present, usually that's, a, that's like an indication something else is up, like, right, that we are not really taking care of ourselves because being present is probably our, it's where we ought to be, right? It's like where we're made to be. If we find we're in the past or in the future or some other amalgamation of both in our heads, that needs tending to first. We can't just go put on the to-do list, also be present. Right, right, right. Exactly. And a lot of that, what comes to my heart is like a lot of that comes from a place of not enoughness or of um, not questioning. Like we do this because we think that's what it means to be a good little boy or girl or to be a good parent or to be a good human is to do all these things. And that tends to have us work from a place of lack uh, versus a place of like uncovering, unfoldment, play. And that tends to be when our best stuff happens because unfoldment, play, all that is presence. Presence. And then the other is more like obligatory work. And we both know the difference between how those feel right inside one we were just talking about that like one feels like light giving and uplifting and the other is kind of oppressive um it's Mm. very interesting it is oppressive that's a good word for it so i don't know if like in the context of when people come to you but what like why do you think we have such a widespread propensity as adults of trying to do exactly what you're discussing like trying to take on 17 different things at once? And then how do you help your clients start to do what you do very naturally, which is challenge that inner voice, which is set positive um, goals for yourself and to be realistic. So kind of walk us through that journey. How do, like, how do you get so messed well, up? Well, I mean, listen, I'll say this, right? You're sweet to say I do it naturally. I mean, I do, I work on it every day. And Honestly, I've done a ton of therapy as a client, right? Because I think a lot of that not enoughness, that forms so young, right? If we went back, if I sat with somebody and we talked about where that not enough, if somebody can even acknowledge that it's there, Mm -hmm. some people have so much shame around not enough, right? Because they're fine. I'm fine. Of course I'm fine. Of course I'm I'm mentally healthy, like all that stuff, but but, but, look at all the things I'm doing. I'm a great, I'm doing all these things that prove I'm a great parent. I'm all these things that prove I'm a great employee or whatever. You know, there's a thing I'm probably stealing from Brene Brown, but I'm sure she doesn't mind. It, she calls perfectionism, like I think she calls it the 10,000 pound shield. Mm-hmm. So that whenever you see someone that's over-functioning so much, and they may look like they've got it all together, and hey, look, on the surface, maybe they do. Almost always, there's that seed of shame or insecurity, not enough, not good enough. So keep doing. If I just keep doing more and more and more, someday it's going to be filled. And the opposite is a lot of times true. So yeah. how do we do that? I think we we start to get in touch with those parts of ourselves that we are maybe not as proud of, right? Everybody's proud of their accomplishments. We're proud of our kids' accomplishments. And we live in a culture that loves doing, right? We love industriousness. And we, you know, we 
love the stories about CEOs that work 18 hours and then sleep for two hours under their desks and then roll out of their thing and go back to work. We are so inspired by that. So I think that's a cultural thing. I don't think that's any one of us specifically, but I do think that like, it might be worth asking if you find you're always going, always doing, and you do hear that little whisper of not enough to spend some time with that, right? Yeah. Like wh where did that start? What, what else is that not enough saying about you? Because we work so hard to avoid it because it's so painful. Not enough is so, so painful. I'll just lose five more pounds, start two more businesses, and maybe I'll be the class mom for each of my kids, right? Like we do all that to fill that doesn't work. Sometimes it's enough to just name name the pain of that. I'm really feeling not enough right now. Sometimes that's enough. If we just sit with it a second before we jump into action, I'm going to do something so I don't have to feel this painful thing. But then it's still there. You know, you have to always keep one step ahead of it. That makes being present almost impossible. Yeah. We have to keep moving to get away from the really painful thing that's in the present. I do find it's like, whether it's like God or the universe or science, whatever you subscribe to, it is a very, uh, it is like a very hilarious, you know, like hidden thing that we are as humans, like tasked to deal with. It's like, we always have the propensity to want to grow and develop and, um, and just expand, right? Evolve as a species, ment mentally, like whatever that looks like. But then we're always kind of plagued with the like especially in our day and age where we have everything that we need at our fingertips so it's not like we have to work very difficult like hard to get anything right everything's right there available to us and so because of that i think our work for our generation is a lot more mental mm. it's a lot more self-mastery based than it is go out and wreck the skyscraper or go out and plow the fields and like physically you physically produce for yourself and I think that that has presented so many beautiful things. I think it also presents a lot of challenges, especially 100%. with communication and technology and being able to so quickly um, quell or dispel or just uh, distract oneself from that work. Yeah. And, you know, it, you couple all that with the fact that you, as a human, you're just pre-designed to want to evolve things. So it, I just think we're in a really interesting time where we have to, we have to kind of like, not even balance is the word, but like marry those two things. Um, so, so when your clients start to come to you with the whispers or the negative voices or the um, cognitions, as you mentioned them, I guess voices is a... Uh... That's fair. No, we'll go with voices. Yeah, right. Kind of a trigger word. Saying. Yeah. <laughs> I hear it as a voice. Yeah, that's fair. Same. Yeah, same. Uh, um, but so how do you teach them to like disassociate that from like, and this is very like Eckhart Tolle. This is very like um, meditative mindset, but that's just the, the path that I've walked is like you you recognize that that's not who you are. You are having that thought. Yes. You are the observer having that cognition. That's so, so that's, hard though, but that that's exactly right. it. Yeah, but it's so hard to do. So, so, I guess, so I guess that's my, for people who haven't gone through the meditative journey, like sure. how do you teach people to one pinpoint that, two disassociate, yeah. like that's not you as a being, that's just a thought. And now you can challenge, play with, change, have fun with, adjust and move on. Yes, I think that, and that's so key to so much. And I, I think- and this should be said, like, you can do it with yourself. You can also do it with your kids, right? And one way we do it is we externalize, which you're saying disassociate. We externalize. We put it as an outside thing that is, not, I am not my feelings. I am not my thoughts either, right? I am having them, but they are not all that I am. So one thing we do is, right, just try to help people to differentiate. So that's kind of that language of what's my brain saying to me right now? What's my brain telling me about the situation? But we want to try to help people understand you are 
making judgments. It is not that we are just seeing reality as, as reality is, because reality, the events that happen around us are neither good nor bad. Like it's not objectively true that, you know, where I am on the East Coast, we just got hit with a bunch of smoke because Canada's on fire, as it turns out. We got hit with a bunch of smoke, right? People would say, this is, this is terrible, right? This is terrible. I understand what they're saying, of course, and I would never be the jerk that goes, it's really not objectively good or bad, Like I wouldn't do that. I don't want people to, you know, hate me. But I, we have to be careful the language we use, right? Because we're assuming this external thing is clearly a bad thing, and therefore that that's objectively true. And our brain told us it's bad, so it's bad. It's not. It's a thing, right? Yeah. The facts are, like you're a reporter, the facts are the air quality index was quite high and the air quality was not good. It wasn't healthy. That's a fact. That it's a bad thing and therefore it means what? You know, the end of the world. Everybody needs to stay inside forever, blah, 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 blah. blah. Those are judgments. So we right. want to try to help people be cognizant of the judgments that they're making about things because those judgments have a big impact on our mindset and how we feel. And so I think that that's part of it too, being able to separate ourselves from it. We can now look at those thoughts objectively and we can ask ourselves questions about those thoughts. So let's say your kid comes home and they're, they're really, really upset. You know, there's different ways to do that. One is to like talk about mad, like something different than them. Oh, I see Matt is here right now. Oh, what's he got to say? What's Matt telling you? Matt's telling me, I hate this new bedtime routine, right? Like, blah, 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 blah. They may not take the bait right away. They may just tell you what they're mad about, but that's okay. You can keep using it. I see, oh, I see that Matt is super upset. This feels so unfair to Matt. How big would you say Matt is right now? Like, could you fit him in your pocket or would he take up the whole room? Like, what could Matt fit in, right? So we start talking about Matt like that. Well, what do you think we could do? Is there anything we could do that might calm Matt down? And there might not be, right? Okay, it doesn't feel like there's anything. All right, so we maybe we have to just like wait for Mad to leave. Oh, Mad's telling you you need to throw something, right? Like we're doing it like that. Once I was working with a kid, nice, who um, I struggled with like bedwetting. That's very shameful for children. It's very very shameful. They have a lot of anxiety about it. Whatever they know, it displeases their parents. They know, you know, that maybe it's not age appropriate. They're acutely aware of all that and having shame about it makes the thing worse. Mm -hmm. The anxiety around it and the shame around it makes it worse. So one of the first things we recommend parents do is like, name the thing, give it a name that has nothing to do with your kid. Like this little kid called it like sneaky pee. So then we can all talk about the thing without like yes. destroying this seven-year-old. So then That's maybe great. we say, hey, did sneaky pee just happen? Oh, it did. Oh, it's hard when sneaky pee happens. Like blah, 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 blah. It's not them. Wow. So if we can do that with kids in that kind of more playful way, that can be really effective. For adults, it just takes practice. Yeah. Kind of just saying, what are you feeling right now? And just like you said, being aware of the language. Right now I'm feeling angry. Okay. One metaphor I like to use is like, it's like the weather, right? The weather is not the same thing as you, right? Sometimes you go out, there's nice weather. Sometimes you go out, there's not nice weather. We might take information from that. Like if it's not nice, I'll bring an umbrella. Our feelings are the same. You yeah. might recalculate something if you're feeling really down, but it's important to remember like feelings by their very nature are transient. Exactly. And, that, and, and that's what I think our generation is starting to have to understand and like work through as adults and then help, help so our kids yeah. can like, you know, one, like stand on the shoulders of giants, so to speak, like go one step further. Like you have these things they are actually serving a purpose. Mm -hmm. The wildfire, although inconvenient to certain people, you, we were at a, a nine-year-old birthday over the weekend. Like, oh, it's so unfortunate. We might not be able. We might we might not be able to go on the boat. Like, well, 
a non-yacht day for us probably means that someone's backyard is on fire. So like, like yep. perspective. And then do we, are we so far re- removed from agriculture that we don't remember what forest fires naturally occurring are for and how they regenerate forests so we can have food? <laughs> like It's just, right. it's the, you know, it's the, the thought process. So I think by not scapegoating the thing, you can actually appreciate all aspects of it. It's light and it's dark because we live in a dualistic world where we're going to have elements of both within us. Even I look at us as humans, us as parents, we definitely have both, right? Right. It's, it's, we try our very best to always be good and always be like this, but sometimes it's okay for the shadow to come out because there's, it's a purpose to it. And, and just, as you said, presence is just being aware of that totality. So when it comes up, it can be something that is well-meaning and it's yeah. not like as an afterthought or lashing out in anger. Like obviously we were designed this way. Everything was designed to have both for a reason. And we're not meant to understand it all, but to mm-hmm. be okay with it. So you're not anxious if it doesn't always go perfectly. Right. Right. And I think too, exactly to piggyback on that, when we can learn to do it and you make a great point, God bless our parents. They couldn't teach us. They were not doing any of this. They did the best they could. They gave us what they could. I think, that generation kind of gave us the freedom to have some feelings, but they had zero idea of what we ought to do with those feelings or how to talk about them. But they, they at least could tolerate that maybe we were having some feelings and, but we really had to work it out on our own, what the heck those feelings meant and what we did with those feelings. So I do think a lot of people, you know, millennials and, you know, younger millennials are now who are becoming parents, Gen X, like we've had to like, do a lot of this on our own. We read a lot of self-help books. We go to therapy. Like it's not yeah. this shameful thing. Oh, you know, I've right. got like two groomers on my caseload and God bless them. They feel very ashamed about being there. It doesn't feel okay. Like it feels like something's wrong with them where like my millennials, like, oh yeah, I go to therapy. They refer other people to therapy. They compare their therapists. Like it's just this thing. And it's, it's not that we're crazy. It's that we are trying to fill that educational gap of like, what do we do with this machine we've been given, the feelings that come up for us, the thoughts, and how do we, you know, learn to manage those things so that, like you said, you get their messages so that we can get the important messages without like being pulled down in, into some kind of like muck of just like negative feeling, right? You, you wanna be able to have access to your feelings because they are a way of knowing. At the same time, you wanna have enough distance from those feelings that you can kind of say, it, you know, it feels this way. Is there evidence that this is true? I like what you said. You kind of reframed the wildfire and saying like, listen, this is a natural part of nature too. And it has a purpose. Therefore acting like it's the end of the world, like the apocalypse has come is probably not useful. There's probably not evidence of that. It's also probably not useful. So those are like two things to circle back to like, what do we do in therapy? Two things we, we practice doing together is is there evidence of that? So like, what's your brain telling you? Well, my brain's telling me that I need to do everything and that it's all on me. Okay. Well, is there any evidence that that's true? Now, this person may say there is, right? My boss expects it. My husband expects it. My kids expect it. I expect it from myself. Okay. There's evidence. The next question is, if it, if it has some evidence that it might be true, the follow-up question, the most important one, is this thought helpful to you right now? Is it serving you, right? Is it making you more whole, more happy, more present, right. more purposeful? If it is not, it is probably wise to challenge that thought a little bit, right? Because, but we often don't, right? We often sort of stop there. There might be some evidence. It could be true. For instance, um, you know, here's a common one for people my age. You know, 
you're in the shower and you notice there's a lump on your breast. Your brain says, well, I have stage four cancer. There's no one to raise my kids and da 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 right? And then the anxiety just starts, right? We've all done that. You're on WebMD. WebMD's like, you've uh-huh. got three weeks, maybe. Self-diagnosing, right? it's always good. It, it's a nightmare, right? It's a nightmare. You go into all these anxious thoughts. But if we can just say, okay, what I'm experiencing anxiety, all right, what is my brain telling me about the objective facts? The objective facts is I feel something that wasn't there before on my breast, okay. What is my brain telling me? My brain is telling me that I have cancer. Okay, do I have any evidence that I have cancer? Has a doctor diagnosed me? Has a mammogram been done? The answer is no. Now, is this thought helpful to me? I might have cancer. Yes, it is. If it motivates you to call your doctor, make an appointment and go get a mammogram and go get it checked out, then it was a useful thought. Now, after you've scheduled that mammogram and you're waiting to go and have the test, is that thought that you are dying of cancer helpful? No. It's not right. And then we have to do some like kind of self-talk around that. But like that's the big kind of the thinking skills that we try to get people to start practicing because it really does help. Oh, man, I love this. I think this is fascinating. Like your field to me, like I don't have enough patience, but your field to me is so fascinating because you're like going into the inner workings of a brain. Like I was just we took Gabriel the other day to the science museum and he's three now. So he understands like the digestive system and like this stuff. And he wants to understand how the outer and the internal components of us make work. So we're talking about the folds of the brain and while there's so many folds and he's three, so I'm trying to like, and not make this too verbose and complex, but basically the more folds, the more, you know, the more little neurons we can put in there and I showed him what that looks like. And all those things are, are, thoughts and things for us to like explore the world and yeah i mean it is pretty remarkable 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 like super divine when you think about it and i so i wrote two things down as you were talking that i love sure. one is like and this was a practical tool that i was kind of referring to earlier is having people understand if it's going to serve them because mm-hmm. taking the wildfire uh, analogy and bringing it to this is like there was a not just a for the vast majority of human existence those thoughts kept kept us alive. They kept us fed. They kept us able to reproduce. Right. Um, we are pre-genetically disposed to think of the worst case scenario. It is right. how we have survived as a species. So when you ha- but but when you're not present, you don't think of that shit. You don't think of it. But when you're present, you can say, "Hmm, I know that you know that's okay." But to your point, like, is this serving me? That's how that's how it comes across in my head. Is like, or I also think of, and that's what I wrote down. Is like, yeah thoughts to me can and emotions emotions and thoughts are beautiful warning signs Mm -hmm. so what i always especially if it's something recurring right like if it'll happen like once or twice i can usually um what do you like kind of talk it out of your head like sure uh, like process it yourself you kind of talk it through i get yeah and like justify like okay this is this boom it's done but if they keep occurring i i can't help but think this is happening for a reason why Mm-hmm. And, and as woo woo or as pragmatic as you want to get, like, if you just take a second to say, why does this keep coming up? What is this emotion? What is this thought trying to communicate, convey what? And then it'll usually come in a, a weird impulsive thought or like a feeling in your body or like whatever that is. I think we're just as part of this like journey through survival to like thriving. I think we're starting to become more aware of that inner outer connection. And we can say, oh, 
all right, well, it's making me kind of tingly here or, oh, it reminded me of this. And th that thought has a purpose. Yeah. We just don't know how to listen to our internal mechanisms. The, for, like It's an overgeneralization, but I don't think yeah. it's like American or Western society does a wonderful job of it. So I think we're learning that. And, and then like, it builds from there. That was, that was one thing that kind of, I, I love. Well, I love what you just cool. said, right? Because what I noticed about what you said is like, there was a real attitude that you take of curiosity. And like, that's a huge thing. Can we be, instead of being so threatened by our anxious thoughts or our sad feelings, can we be curious? You know, like with kids, I'll say like, can you be an explorer? Okay, if you're an explorer, you know, you're in the jungle and you found a new animal and you're trying to like describe it to me. Like you said, where is it in my body? We can't do that if we're threatened by it. If yeah. we say this is a bad feeling and I don't want to feel bad because I don't have time to feel bad. Or like, it's not okay for me to be sad. I'm the, I'm the really, you know, healthy one in the family or I, I'm the go-getter. I'm always upbeat, whatever. Then you can't be curious. And now you can't have access to that way of knowing, which is what you're talking about. And you're also talking, I think, about like the way our brain works very in a very associative way, right? And you're kind of following those associations. So when I ask myself what I'm feeling, what came up for me, that's what you're doing. And yeah. it's giving you access because a lot of times our systems absolutely know what we need. And if we can listen, right? So you might be thinking about why you're feeling annoyed after a work call. And when you ask yourself that, something comes up and something else comes up. And now you're having a memory of when you were 10 at a birthday party. And it's not random because the brain doesn't work like that. What it did was it associated and it showed you something that feels relevant. And if we can tune into that, it's like a superpower. It is a whole different way of experiencing that you can't get. If, you know, like me, most of the time, you're just rushing around a cup of coffee in one hand, cell phone in the other, you're never going to see it. Yeah. And and that's fine if that's yeah. where you are. But I venture sure. if you're watching this podcast, if you've watched more than one episode, that's not who you want to be. It's who you recognize you can be, but it's also you understand you can be so much more. And mm -hmm. I don't think there's any wrong. There's no like you have to be those or this. I think we need all. Uh, I have a gentleman I follow, Matthias Stefano, and he equates the humans in the world as like cells in a body he's like mm -hmm. we can't all be brain cells we can't all be like we need liver cells we gotta pass through the crap like we're all meant to play a role and just being like okay with where you are um sure. so I, I just small instrument but you know, I, like a big orchestra i just like to play with life like i feel like we chose to come here so this hasn't happened to us it happens for us and it's just mm -hmm. fun to take that it, it, i guess i guess it's just like I always joke on this podcast just because we have body hair and mortgages, like we're, st we're still the explorer. We're still that kid. Like mm. my kid hates to brush his teeth. And so I'm like, why am I struggling with this so much? I'm like, you know what? Make it fun. And so today he had to fight the, um, we were the pirates. So we had to fight the bad guys in his mouth. And then he turned into a, a fire breathing dragon. So he took the mouthwash, which was red and he got to, you know, hit the castle with it. And like, I he had no problem. He brushed his teeth longer than I think we've ever had happen because it is relevant and it's fun. It's not taxing. Um, mm. So you said something that I loved. So we had a psychologist, not a psychologist, hypnotherapist on the other day. Cool. And this guy specifically does hypnotherapy with children. Uh huh. Because as an adult, it does feel laborious to try and get back. I mean, it's very amazing and like breathtaking. I'm not a big meditator. Um, I'm more of like a just drop into like the moment person, but it can be very laborious to do that if you don't have a habit of it. It wasn't instilled in you from birth or religion or culture, and you're running a you know as a parent and working and managing a family. But he tell he gets them young. He kind of thinks like we're lost causes already. We're gonna fair. do our best, but we never get to like a level four or five. 
Let's get them while they're young and show them what they're already doing and why it's so important. Mm. And you said it exactly right. He talks about it as emotions are meant to be felt. So when you can feel them and understand them, they're telling you something, then they're meant to be released and not held onto, released. And when you can teach that to kids like early, I think kids actually do this very well. Um, like, like something happens and they just have a propensity to brush it off. Whereas like, you know, you get us at like 6 PM and we're pissed off about a Facebook comment that we got at like 6 AM. You know what I mean? Like forget it. Yeah. We have, we just hold everything in. It's weighing us down and kids are good at releasing it. And he tries to have them just really drop into that experience so that they can Mm. do it well. as Oh, I love that. So it comes to my heart though, as we talk about this is like, why did we get here? How did we get here? Cause I think if I can understand in my mind how and why, it can be reverse engineered to help our children to just be a little bit more present. And I think you brought it to me, you brought it to mind when you um, said the the news example of the, the wildfire. Yeah. Me, it's like the media example in general of just how media is meant to be a triggering. It's meant to be a triggering thing because it is yeah. at the core, call it what it is. It is the business of information. So it is yes. a business. And I think, again, if we don't know how to challenge or, um, play with that concept, we take it as pure gold. Um, they talk a lot about it in like self-help and business development as first principles. If you don't know how to derive things back to the first principles, then you take everything at face value and then you need it to be 85 and sunny for you to feel happy because right. it's like the external low key of control. You're now waiting for everything else to be perfect to give you the permission to feel happy. It's yes. like, what is that movie? The Smurfs? Like, you're, right? It's like you're waiting to eat whatever those bigorb things are. I don't know what they're called. But like, you're waiting for something else to make you feel happy. Um, and it's the like, trolls. The trolls. The yes, trolls. yes. I was, like, I was like, have I yes, watched right. the Smurf movie? I'm sure I have. Yes, the trolls. That's right. They what needed other things Emmy Gorgon? No, that's. <laughs> oh, don't put that on me. I don't, don't know. I'll never be able to bring that up. Even though I've been forced to watch that movie multiple times and I could sing you the song. I... Bergen's. Bergen. Yeah, nailed it. Wow, killing the mom game, killing it. It's a stranger thing. The eight-year-old is probably not watching it. Let's hope. (laughs) I have not logged into her Netflix. I haven't really been watching that carefully. We don't know. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Oh no, but it's that whole like concept of just first principles and thinking for ourselves. Like I don't. I think as adults, we think we do a great job of this. I don't think we do. And it's just like how how do you teach something that you're not doing right? Which is Mm. Always an interesting concept. Um, this is awesome. Okay, so let's shift a little bit into parenting. And I know a lot of your clients come to you with the anxieties around that. And then yeah. I know presence is big. I'd love to just hear anything else, stories or tips or anything else that comes to your heart when it comes to you know adulting and parenting and just trying to like drop in and enjoy that moment. Yeah, I would say the biggest thing the biggest like game changer and when i say game changer no gimmicks here right like you don't need to buy a book or a course or anything like but this works good we're called like special playtime but don't let the name fool you it's not just for babies you can do it with a teenager uh you know i don't know whether you want to that's a different thing but you could and basically it just means with intention you you pick a special day and time so let's say for me let's say it's thursday at 5 p.m it can be as little as 20 minutes, but for an older kid, maybe it's an hour, right? So let's say I always start small so that I achieve the goal. 
I don't want to overextend myself, right? And I have pretty bad ADHD. So if I do an hour, a good chance I'll be like, where's my phone? You know, <laughs> but for that 20 minutes, let's say, you arrange the day and time and you must keep the day and time like enough that they can count on it. So it can't, it really shouldn't switch every week. Now you've got that day and time. In that thing, you let your child know we're going to do special playtime. It'll happen every week. And in special playtime, you'll be able to do with the toys, most of the things you would want to. If there's something you can't do, I'll let you know. That's the only rule. Have a spot where you do it. It can be a playroom or whatever. I would suggest with kids that are, you know, still playing with toys, I would have some toys and stick them in a bag and make them special playtime toys. And they only come out when you guys do special playtime. And make those toys things that are expressive, right? Like, you can have something for caretaking that might be a baby doll or that might be like some plastic McDonald's food or you might want a fire truck and some little people or some animals, something that the child basically can project onto because play is the language of childhood, right? Special playtime should never be taken away for bad behavior. It's not a reward because your presence is not a reward. They deserve that, right? And also, yeah. selfishly, you're going to get a glimpse into the inner world of your kid's brain. You're going to see the associations they make. You're going to see the way that they solve problems and they will play it out yeah. because, so basically I was a play therapist. So I would do that with the children. And what I found is I wasn't the only one to find it. Yes. It works when a therapist does it. Like when a therapist does play therapy, um, it's very useful to children. It's 50 times more useful at least if a parent does it because they want you to know what is happening for them. They do not want me, some random, you know, I'm fun, I give Jolly Ranchers, but they do not need me to know about the inner workings that are going on for them, the things they're struggling with, the things they're afraid of. They want the parents, always, yes. always. Even if they're saying terrible stuff to you when it's not special playtime, they always want their parent to see. And all you have to do for special playtime, you don't need any training, you plop the toys out, you say, Special playtime is starting. You'll be able to use these toys pretty much however you want. If there's something you can't do, I'll let you, I'll let you know. The only limit should be if they're going to hurt themselves or you or destroy something, right? Like I would not let a child in special playtime take a truck and smash it into my coffee table. However, if a cuss word comes out in special playtime, I ain't saying anything because you can judge them and parent them, but you won't get access. If you want into the inside, there can be no judgment. So whatever play happens, you're following along. They feed you the chicken nugget. Oh, oh, delicious. You know, da, 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 da. And they may whisper to you. They'll do it naturally. You don't have to instruct them. You don't like it. Then you, oh, yuck. Oh, I hate it. You know, right? Whatever. They will lead you. And if you then look back at what was being played out almost always, just like you were saying, the associative wow. like, way that the brain works, you can see the theme. Right. And usually it's pretty obvious, right? It's little rubber ducks, one duck's left out. There's a good chance that your child is struggling with that. Something about belongings or a group thing. And you don't have to do anything to help them. Them playing and having you receive it and see it, that is the help. That's the healing. They don't need you to fix their problems nine times out of ten. They need you to see them and reflect back to them and give language to what their experience is. So in a duck example, I had a kid do it with ducks. God bless him. He brought his own ducks. He had a little bag of ducks. He would bring them in each week. The ducks would talk. The ducks would do stuff. And I would say, oh, that duck's, that duck is all left out. Or that duck's by himself, right? He would play, 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 play. At one point, I don't know why, because I'm not doing anything. I'm just being present. 
the play changed. Now the little duck that was on the outside is on the inside. I have no idea if that was a real situation in school. That was not told to me. All I know is that something happened in that room. He processed something. He found his own solution. And that's what I meant when I said to you at the beginning, my goal in therapy, of course I want to help people, right? I wouldn't be in this if I didn't. But I know I can't. Everybody has to run their own race. And our kids are the same. They do not need us to solve things most of the time. They need us to see what is happening for them and reflect it back. I see how you're really struggling with that. But I really liked how you went and asked for help. Or I thought it was really great how you kept going. And then you figured something out. Right? We're reflecting to them their competence. We're reflecting to them their ability to persevere and overcome. Because when we're gone, they need to be able to do the things for themselves, right? But first, they need us to kind of reflect it back. That's teaching them feeling language. That's teaching them how to deal with difficult emotions and still achieve a task. That stuff they'll have forever, right? Because that's the goal. And for adults, too, that's what I'm trying to teach adults. In some ways, I'm reparenting. I'm trying to give that experience of being deeply heard and understood yes. and kind of hold the feeling with them till they realize they can hold these thoughts and feelings themselves and they can apply the thinking strategies that we do together on their own. And then sadly they leave the nest and you know, it starts over with somebody else, but in that way, right. There's no saving of anybody. Same yeah. for our kids too. You can't save them from life. And in a way that's so, um, that's so freeing. Yeah. It's both. I think it's both upsetting for some people, like people who they deal with their anxiety by taking a lot of control. Oh, right. So they want to believe because they feel very anxious about bad things happening. Like you said, our brains are wired to show us danger or potential danger. It's not always accurate, but that's what it's out there doing, looking for danger. It's like a, it's like an overzealous guard dog, right? And it's out there. Could be danger. Could be danger. It's wrong a lot, but sometimes yeah. it's right. So it's out there telling us there's danger everywhere. Some people deal with that by taking as much control over things as they possibly can. Their children's schedules, their children's friends, the food. Only coconut oil is used, you know, whatever. They try to do all these things to have control. So for them, the idea that they don't really have as much control as they think is very, very, very upsetting. But and that's actually point, serving. That it could really be freeing. Right. If you look at it the other way, it could really be freeing in that, like, your job was never to have a perfect child or do everything perfectly. I think it's like a, I think it's more of an Indian concept, but it's like you're not meant to raise, they're not yours to raise. They come through you. Children are meant to come through you in a way, in a lot of ways, and it makes perfect sense. Therapists are literally like hired adult, hired parents for adults and yeah. other children. Yes, to help us. I mean, uh, therapy professionals and parents. It's very synonymous to me. Yes, it is. It is, and just like parents, right? I'm not in their life forever. If right. I'm in your life forever, I'm not doing my job right. The, the and and that's not to say like my relationship with my clients is tremendously important. I remember every single person, it means a lot to me to get access to their inner world. That means a ton. And I feel honored to do it. However, I always know if I'm doing my job, then they leave, right? Yep. Then they exactly. feel their own strength, their yes. own ability to stand up to life and whatever, and they go off and that's how it should be. And that's how it is, should be for children too. There's a really great psychologist, no psychiatrist, I'm sorry. His name's Irvin Yalom. He's old, but he's still alive. He, he's in Stanford. And he has a saying that, like, it's much easier to leave good parents yeah. than it is to leave bad parents, right? So, like, a good parent teaches a child how to go out into the world and gives them that confidence yeah. that they can. But when we over-parent, 
when we let our anxieties that something bad will happen to them. And I get it. It happens to me too sometimes. So anxious about what will happen to them at school or what will happen to them at that play date. We instill fear in them. Yeah. And they develop anxiety. And that anxiety tells them that the world is not safe. And look, sometimes the world's not. What we want to inspire them is the world may not always be safe, but you have so many skills. But you are so formidable, right? You have these thinking skills. You know how to use your superpower of your feelings. You know how to develop communities and depend on other people when you need to. We are a tremendously resilient species, right? I mean, we're almost impossible to get rid of, right? Look how long we've extended our life cycle. Right. What were we living before? What what was like the average lifespan, you know, in the 1800s? I mean, and now we can live to 100. Sometimes people live over 100. So we're tremendously resilient. We need to make sure that we're giving our kids that message. If we don't, if our income becomes theirs, you know, they struggle. Then they do feel fearful of the world. And how can you really live if you're fearful? You can only survive. And as I I can see why as a parent, if you're going through your own stuff, it might feel like good to be dependent upon. It means you have value. Yeah. Valuable because they need me. And I only know this because I mean, I've adopted my, my old, my older child, our daughter was mine through adoption, Mm -hmm. um, which is amazing. And so, so grateful that she has chosen us for that path. So when we had Gabriel biologically, and I got to go through that, it was the first time having a baby baby. And I'm, I consider myself not in a, a cocky way, but a competent adult. Like I know how to, I know how to navigate life. And when we had him, I was like, wow, I can see, it feels good to be needed, but it also depletes my ability to be the foundation for him to grow into his own. If I'm always, if I'm always figuring things out for him, solving his problems, being his thing, you know, being there if he needs me and he cries, like there's a lot of truth to helping them develop. And I don't think, you know, there's an age appropriateness to this. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. That's a very good point to make. Right. And the thing is, what I find, and I found this in my, my personal experience, because despite teaching parenting things, in no way am I a perfect parent. They're not out there. But like one thing I find is like a lot of times parents, like a parent will be really great at a certain stage. I was awesome at like zero to two. Awesome. Because a lot of the stuff was just making sure that they were she was eating and then watching her nap, like securing her napping space. That was it. I was in my stride i was so great when she developed all her own capacities and and you know and really grew you know to be elementary school her needs shifted she didn't need from me what she what she you know needed when she was a baby she needed something else that required a lot more presence and that was a lot harder that is still a lot harder for me to kind of make sure i'm checking in enough and, and sort of sitting and playing with whatever the cool toy is right now and asking questions about it because there's very easy for my not enough to whisper, you could be calling people back right now or you, you yeah. know you, you need to be you need to be doing your paperwork. you need to be calling the insurance company. What are you doing sitting here? It's very tempting right but that's what she needs now. Yeah, it's not what she'll need in probably three years. she'll probably need something else. So there's a lot of people that like they're killing it, they're killing it, they're killing it. adolescence hits off the rails, right? Like they really struggle. And I think that's what you're speaking to, right? Because in adolescence, what they need is space, right? They still need to know you're there, but they need you on the peripheral so that they can try stuff out. And that's, that's hard for a lot of parents. And that's when they want to swoop in because now they're starting scared. Yes. Yes. Because now they're starting to see the fruition of what you planted pop out of the soil and you don't freaking like it. 
So now you're trying to dig that crap up and replant it. And there's no wrong here. I'm going through the sure. same journey. It's just wherever that you are in that come to terms with yourself. And that's why I love the first principles. Understand why you are triggered as a parent by these things. Mm. Go down to the basic principles and say, it is not their fault I feel this way. This is not my kids doing. Unravel and figure that out. Self-parent. And then from a place of equanimity, now you can guide because you shouldn't be solving their problems. And if you are seeing like, you know, if you are seeing the fruits of something you don't like, that you could, it's still solvable. Exactly. And there's nothing wrong. Like the, the cool thing about this is like, by and large, our kids have insanely beautiful lives and they're very resilient. I don't think we, unless you're physically or mentally abusive, right. you're not inflicting the damage on them you think you are. You are simply a human on this rock flying through the atmosphere, trying to be a better version of yourself. And that is amazing. But also have the lens of you're probably doing a pretty good job. And, and you probably are. If you're listening to a parenting podcast, you're probably doing a great job, right? <laughs> if you if you worry, here's a little, if you worry that you're not doing a good job, nine times out of 10, you're doing a great job, right? Be honest, it's the people who aren't worried at all, that if they're doing a good job, that I sometimes go, well, they seem oddly confident. That's a parenting thing, right? But the people that are worried about it, generally, they're doing great because because there is no, like you said, there's no recipe here. And we can't even say ages because there are 14-year-olds that still need a lot of closeness and they need a lot of involvement. Yeah. And there are nine-year-olds that need a lot more space because we all develop differently. And, and that's tricky as a parent. And no, we're not going to do it perfect. And I think one thing that's maybe helpful to keep in mind is that is we don't ever had to. We don't have to do it perfect. They've done a lot of studies on attachment and healthy attachments. And they said about, look, a good enough parent not a perfect parent, not attuned all the time. And always, you do not need to know all the time what your child needs from you developmentally or emotionally all the time. Number one, that's impossible. And it's not even desirable. And here's why. Exactly. Because then they don't know what to do with misattunement. They yep. don't, they, they expect that kind of per perfect attunement from others all the time because they got it from you yep. and they don't develop some of those key capacities, like the ability to deal with frustration. Like, you know, when we talk about little kids, I want a cracker, you give them a cracker. I need a cracker, give them a cracker. I need a cracker, give them a cracker. The one time you don't and they have to fuss for 30 minutes because you were in a car and there are no more crackers, awesome. Yeah. Life is teaching. Life is teaching. You can be upset, but you will survive. You can be frustrated and the person can't give you what you want this second, but they got you a cracker when you got home. Like things are going to be okay. All we need to do is be good enough that they believe other people can take care of me sometimes. Other people will help me meet my needs sometimes and I can meet my needs also. Those are great. That's it, right? Hope. Like the yeah. world's generally yeah. an okay place that can meet my needs. Not the world's a perfect ideal yeah. fantasy and not it's a total, you know, apocalyptic mess. Neither of those help. What helps is, like you said, we were, we're here for a reason or whatever, however your beliefs are, but like there is purpose in life. You will face hardship. You have a ton of skills within you to be able to navigate those hardships. And you can rely on your community when it's, that's the beauty of us, right? We weren't made to be in isolation. There is always a group. And yeah. even for parents that might be struggling with like, well, how do I do what you're saying? And like, uh, take it apart in my head. And if therapy's not right for you, use a spouse. You can use a good friend. Basically, you just need somebody who cares about you and it's okay doing some listening. Your brain will do the work itself. Your brain will associate. But sometimes if we're all jittery, we need the 
closeness of somebody we trust to kind of come down, which is true for our kids too, right? We're wired for connection. We're wired for attachment. When we feel distressed, it's in our DNA. We yes. seek out our attachment figures, which is why they come to us. There's no perfect way to handle it. Sometimes distracting somebody and sitting with them while they watch cartoons and tears dry up is all that's needed, right? Don't we have the answer for stuff. I don't have the answer for most stuff, right? As I said, I usually rely heavily on snacks. But <laughs> while I'm feeding the snack, I am sitting there, yeah. right? And I'm sort of saying, yeah, this is hard, right? This is hard some ice cream that part may not be ideal but i think what matters is this person in my life cares enough about me to hold this feeling with me also they believe i can handle this if they believe i can handle this i probably can't right whereas if i went with my gut and i freaked out and ran into every situation to fix it which uh, to be fair i often want to do now i've told my child i don't believe that that she can handle it that's, that's it. not a great lesson that's it. There's so many, I like to, I like to wrap these up because it's sure. like, there's so many amazing things said and if you're in a car or you're, you know, in the folding laundry, making meal prepping, whatever you're doing, doing a diaper, like it's, it's nice to like get the, the drive home context, especially if you're like me and you listen to everything on two speed, um, which is how I have to handle this information. But one is that perfection. And we talk about this a lot, but that perfection yeah. is not only, um, not, uh, not ideal or not, you know, possible it's not ideal it actually right. sets your child up for perceivable failure and it's good to fail it's good to to um to fall forward like fail forward like when kids walk they're fa falling thousands of times before they can learn to take that next step and right. as we try and remove that from them what like are we setting them up for success in life are we setting them up to want to start a business, to start a relationship, to strive to the next level, to become good at any type of sport? Because all of that requires a ton of failure. So I think if we can show them, like we have the capacity to do incredible things in non-ideal situations, that is our superpower as a species, and that we have these things we can latch into, these first principles, these core values, family, and you're just present, it gives them that hope. So that was like one thing I took from it. And then the second was, with the presence piece, it's that, that you said they, they don't need to be, you don't need to fix their problems. You just need to see them. You said they need to be seen. Kids need to feel seen. And you and that sometimes is enough from a, from a, a figure of somebody who loves them for them to clear whatever it is they're working through. Yeah. That was another big one that I, that I picked up. Um, this has been amazing. I, oh my God, thank you. This was so fun. I'll, I'll start working on your friendship bracelet. Yeah. Yes. I would love that. That sounds That's good. Great. Um, Ashley, I always like to wrap with um, two final questions and sure. you give us a bunch of really good practical tips. So the, the final question is if someone could take a quib, a tip, um, any a practical step from this podcast that they can implement immediately just to get like 1% better or 1% more present, what would that be? Yeah, I think you called it what the first principle is that what it's called is that when you like check with yourself mm -hmm. i think check with yourself like with curiosity not judgment not well why am i feeling this way just well what am i feeling right now so when you feel it however you know you're having a big feeling if it's in your chest the tightness whatever that is what am i feeling right now what is my brain telling me right now right that's the jumping off point to, to being aware in your body, present, able to take those messages from your feelings, which is gonna help you to regulate your own feelings, which is gonna make you able and available to be present for others, not just your kids, but more present. You've cleared it kind of, once you've cleared it. You know, I love stuff that rhymes. 
if you can name what you're feeling, you can tame it. Not right. Like it. So, but in order to name it, we have to be able to ask that question kind of with curiosity. But what am I feeling right now? Yes. Like an emotional temperature taking. I would suggest people start doing that. You can do it a couple times a day. Huge difference. Emotional temperature taking. I love that. I've had like, I've done certain things throughout like my life. Like one is I'll just look at my hands. Uh, that's like a meditative mm. practice where it's like you, cause it, your hands like by and large don't change. Right. Unless you have like a surgery or something I don't know. but like by and large throughout your life like they're always here so if you can look at them it kind of is like a, a reminder to like get present and then you can by you can't focus on two things at once so by like looking at where you are it helps you kind of understand more like what's around you and then you can just you're just automatically more present and then I've also done like gratitude or presence alarms or I'll set an alarm and when it goes off I have to like put in a certain code to get it off my phone and that is my reminder of like to just check into a space yeah. um so, but I've never, I, I think I intuitively I might do this, but I love what you call the, um, the temperature check, like the, like a mental awareness temperature. Check. I think it's the same thing as your first principle, right? It's just that. kind of like, like being aware of like, sort of basically like timeout, stepping back. Hmm, what do we have here? What's my brain telling me? Oh, it's telling yes. me if I don't help so-and-so with their homework, they're going to fail out and never get into college and probably their whole life is over. Okay. Is there any evidence that that's true? Is that thought helpful? That, but the beginning of all that other stuff is just going, something's happening for me, right? Like I'm elevated or triggered in some way. And yeah. just taking a little bit of time to step back with curiosity and compassion to see what that is, game changer. Wow, First step great. to all the stuff you're doing, right? Because you're doing a lot of this and it's kind of like, you've been doing it really intuitively. It's like high-end processing though. And that's a that's a good goal for people to get to. That's not, you don't just, I'm sure you could say that's a cultivated practice. You yes, don't just wake up and do that, right? Totally. But a good first step is just what is happening for me right now? Yeah. And, and Dropping in, you said, right? Dropping into yeah. a moment. And, and like, I know we talked at the beginning, so I'll come for full sure. circle about trying to do five or six different things and starting to sow, like, you know, plant the seeds of them all. Right. Like, if you do it in one area, it, it's amazing the multiplication principle. At least I've seen it in my own life. Like, if I just give a little bit in that area, how it can help with all of them, especially because because you are the common thread of everything that grows in your life, whether you like what that looks like or whether you hate what that looks like. There's a reason it's growing. You need to deal with it and internalize it and then do it gently because you are incredible. We're all the heroes of our of our uh, story, right? And so I think sometimes just not being so hard on ourselves and having fun with it, because if not, like, why the hell are we here? Like, what the, you know, it's not fun. Like, who wants to be in, like, this boring, drab thing? It's like the whole brushing the teeth example. It sucks. Nobody wants to do it. You don't want your teeth to fall out. So let's at least make it fun. We got to work to get money. Let's have fun with it. Let's enjoy it. Let's make fun out of it and have a good time. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of the, Kind of the point. Okay, so um, Ashley, wrap us up with like where um, people can interact with you. Do you sure. take on clients? How can they find you? Sure. I mean, I do. I work. I do provide telehealth. So if somebody's in uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Florida, or New York, I'm able to you know work with them virtually. You know, with an audio video platform. So if that's something someone's interested in, of course they could reach out and they can find me on my website, opendoorcounseling.online. And I'm on LinkedIn and all that other stuff. I did have a parenting course. I was going to say, oh, I can share with you later, like a discount code so that people don't have to pay. If they're interested in that, it's on Udemy. But that's that's probably about it. That's how I found you. I forgot. That is how you found me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is how you found me. So long to connect. I, I remember that. Um, my so daughter funny. You were struggling with that throughout. You're like, how oh, do I know her? Uh, yes. Yeah, you reached out from the Udemy course. So yes. I can, like I said, I, I will 
can share with you later, like a discount code people can use. Um, Thank you. you. That's amazing. Well, this has been so wonderful. I really appreciate your heart and sharing that and um, spending some time with us today. I, I told you on our pre-call, like, I just love your personality. I love the way that you come to life and you're just so playful and fun with it. And I think our parents are going to really enjoy that as well. So um, thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. So thank you again. And then parents, thank you guys so much for showing up week after week and being here. Um, it just brings my heart so much joy to bring value to you guys. And I'm learning so much in the process. And what means the most to me is when you guys send me comments or you send me emails with what you want to see, what you want to learn. And then I go out and find amazing people like Ashley who can come share their hearts and help us all because we're all in this journey together. So I um, appreciate you guys being here. And until the next perfect time, everybody, stay beautiful and stay inspired. Bye, guys. <laughs>